Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to attempt to sit down without hurting myself. Uh, as you know, I had knee surgery on Monday, so over the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to sit and relax here. And um, uh, somebody was asking me, like, are you going to preach after your surgery? I was like, well, this is kind of the only thing I can do. I can't do a three-legged race. I can't uh, play church softball, but this I can do. I guess I might get a little antsy because normally I like to walk around a little bit, but um, I'll do my best here like this. So um, uh, everybody a little bit warm today? Uh, it, the air conditioner has been not working the last couple of weeks. That is what's going on. We got a little breeze going on in here. However, remember the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the desert, okay? So, all right, no complaining. All right. Um, well, we are uh, continuing on in our series through the book of Exodus, and we're up to chapter 18. And, um, you know, uh, what is going on and what is transpiring, like I've kind of talked to you about, is a picture and is a type of what each of us go through as we journey to freedom. We all have to have this journey. If we're going to fully embrace what God wants in our lives, we are enslaved by sin and we need God's help to move from slavery to freedom. And um, it's kind of after that salvation moment we talked about a couple of weeks ago where the Israelites walked across uh, the, the Red Sea, walked right through the middle of the Red Sea and were saved and were free, they now had to kind of go through different things that helped them grow in their relationship with God. Um, and all of us can relate to this. We know that there may have been a moment in time where we had like a time where we said, yes, God, I believe in you. Maybe we were baptized. Maybe you had a moment where you can look back to you and say, that was a profound moment in time where my life was different. But then it's really kind of the beginning. And it's really where God does a lot of the refining work in our life. It's the beginning of the process that, you know, in the, in the scripture talks about the sanctification process, the process of making us new, the process of taking us on this journey to fully go from this place of, you know, being enslaved by sin to freedom. And so last week we kind of talked about the beginning of this sanctification process was really when the people fully relied on God. They went from uh, like, what are we going to do for food? What are we going to do for water? What are we going to do for safety? And God showing them time and time again, I will provide. I will take care of your needs. Your grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. I will give you what you need. And so if you stay in a place of really being enslaved, what we do sometimes is we, we're kind of in a place of denial that we have to like, you know, we maybe don't need God's help. Uh, if, to stay enslaved sometimes is also a place of isolation where we think we don't need to be among other people. And also it keeps us enslaved if we stay in a place of sinfulness. So last week we kind of talked about embracing that grace that God gives us, embracing what God offers to us, and he offered it to the Israelites through food and water and safety. And today we're going to talk about embracing community. Instead of being enslaved in isolation, we need to embrace 
community. I don't know about you, but I am the type of person that likes to go it alone. Anybody else like to go it alone? Like to do things on their own? Like don't talk to me, mind your own business, I got my plans, you stay aside, just leave me alone. I remember when one of those huge days in my life, um, the day I turned 16, and this was intentional, and this was like it wasn't going to go one day longer. The day I turned 16, I went to get my driver's license. Anybody else get your driver's license the day you turn 16? That was a big day because I was like, this is the day where I'm truly free. This is the day where I can go and drive and go wherever I want. I didn't have my own car, but I could sneak my mom's car and you know do whatever. But this, I wasn't gonna let it go one day without getting my driver's license because I was like, I want to be free to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. And that was a huge day. And I was like, that is a big day. The first day I was going to do that. And that's sometimes how we think about our lives. And that is a big part of our culture. And it is virtuous to be independent and to be self-reliant. And all of those are good virtues. But they also can be harmful virtues taken in the extreme. So let, we're going to look at God's plan of embracing community through this interesting story that we have in the book of Exodus chapter 18. So you can flip to Exodus chapter 18. And we're going to read the entire chapter again if there's some names I mispronounce. Just remember, I am on pain meds. So, um, uh, yeah. So, here we go. Uh, Exodus 18, starting in verse 1, says this. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard about everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Uh, remember Jethro? is not a Hebrew. He's not an Israelite. He is, he is somebody that Moses met when he fled Egypt after he murdered someone. And so uh, Jethro was from Midian. And so this is Jethro connecting again with his son-in-law, Moses. Verse 2. After Moses had sent his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other. And then they went to the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And about all the hardship they had met along the way. And how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. He said, 
Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, who rescued you from the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is, is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought in burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron, Moses' brother, came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge, judge for the people. They stood in, around in front of him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? While all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decree and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. To work, the work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the, the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So this interesting little interaction, and in some ways it's kind of an interruption in the whole flow of the story, that this outsider comes in and starts giving Moses advice. All throughout the book of Exodus, we're getting these real proclamations from God. And next week in particular, we'll, we'll have a direct proclamation from God saying, this is how you're to order yourselves. But God, in an amazing way, uses Moses' father-in-law to just give practical wisdom and practical advice to Moses, who is just completely overwhelmed with what's taking place. I don't know if you've been in situations like that, where it's there, the, the task before you is overwhelming. And if you get ever into a place where you're, you're trying to seek God, you're trying to follow God, you're trying to do stuff to serve your community and neighborhood, that is a place inevitably you'll get to. 
I know there's been many times in my own life where I've looked around and seen, you know, all of our neighborhood and the, the houses that are coming up and all these different things and thinking, there are so many people out here that need a good church. There's so many people who are hurting. There's so many people who are struggling. There's so much stuff. And my natural inclination has always been, all right, do a little bit more. Just do a little bit more. And, and that is Moses' inclination. He says, just, you know, kind of do a little bit more. And what he's doing is he's in a place where every single dispute amongst this huge group of people is coming to him. He wakes up early in the morning, and you can imagine the line at the tent as he gets up and he comes out, and there's a line, and that's what Jethro sees, a line from the beginning of the day to the end of the day as people are like, hey, you know, uh, what should we do about this? This oxen got into my uh, area or whatever. You know, I don't know specifically what, but um, there's these disputes that happen, that emerge, right? And this is part of the reality of being a part of a community, right? It's part of the reality of your home. There's disputes that come up. There's disagreements. There's conflict. There's difficulty. These, this is just part of life, right? And so he says, okay, I should do the only thing that's appropriate. I'm going to keep the peace among all of these people. And he finds himself in a place where he really is enslaved to the task before him. He's enslaved to it. He is like completely overwhelmed and enslaved to it. And, and he just must feel completely and totally alone. As you read through even the, the portions of scripture that come up to this point, you see Moses is kind of in this tough spot. He always seems to kind of be the middleman, just like, like settling disputes between God's message to the people and the Israelites' stubbornness and difficulty. And how frustrating that must have been. Where God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you. You're going to walk through dry land, right through the middle of the Red Sea, and the people are complaining. What are we doing? What are we doing? We're going to die out here. And Moses is like, be quiet, people. Stuff is going to go on. God's telling them one thing. The people are arguing it. And he's in the middle of it. And it was probably it's just miserable. Miserable. And the reality is he wouldn't have lasted very long. He probably would have taken off. He probably would have quit. I think sadly upon so many people in my life that I've met that have come to me and sincere people who really love God and are really trying to follow God and really trying to do the right thing. And they tell me stories and they say, you know what? I used to be a part of this church. I used to be a part of this church and um, you know what? I was, I was helping out and I was doing this and I was doing that and I was doing all this stuff. And, and then, and then like, the pastor said this, or these other people did this, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And you, know, you could fill in the blanks, and you can probably come up with a thousand different scenarios of all of a sudden, they were like wanting to do the right thing, and all of a sudden, the mess of being a part of a community was too much to bear. And they walked away. And they said, I'm just going to do it alone. I'm going to go to my house I'll read my Bible on my own. And I'm going to... Uh, people that really have a sincere, deep faith still to say, I'm done with all the conflicts, all the other stuff, all the things that I don't want to deal with. And you know what? They just like, 
lots of stuff to happen and there's never an end to it. I'm done. I'm just going to have a relationship with God on my own and I don't want to have anything to do with the community of faith. And I can relate and I can understand that. And it's probably a road that maybe Moses, can you imagine, Moses was going down. That at some point, he was going to say, enough is enough, I quit. I'm done. But that's not God's plan. And that's how we have to, we have to realize. And it's one of the lessons that we have to embrace to get to the point where we move from being enslaved to freedom. It's one of those big movements in our spiritual life that we have to say, I'm going to embrace the community of faith. I'm going to embrace that. But there's some things he had to learn. Of course, he had to learn, and there was some very, you know, specific good advice from Jethro. He said in verse 15, or um, I'm sorry, verse 17, he said, what you're doing isn't good. What you're doing is not good. Plain and clear advice. What you're doing is not going to work. If you get to a place where you think you can do all, you can do it all in your own family, in your own church, in your own world, you can do it all alone. It's not good. It's not going to work. It's not going to work for you. You will burn out and it won't work and you'll be bitter and miserable and you'll probably quit. It's not going to work for you. And then later on, as he's continuing to talk about, he says, it's going to wear you out. The, the work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Then he kind of gives them, here's a game plan you can have for dealing with all this. But then later, it says in verse 23, if you do this, and God so commands, saying if you do this and it's in God's will to do this, which it, it, it was, you'll be able to stand the strain and these people will go home satisfied. Everyone else will be benefited as well. And that's the lie that we sometimes get into, is we get into this idea that, like, if I rely on somebody else, that is like, you know, it's showing weakness for me, or it's, it's like putting something on them that shouldn't be the case. That's, that is not true. The truth is, the community was designed to share the load. The community was designed to share the load for both ends of the spectrum. For all the people who are the doers and say, I'm going to conquer the world and do it all, they need to learn the lesson, you got to share the load. you got to do it for other people. The other side of that is if you do everything all the time, over and over, for everyone, 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 no one's going to be satisfied because it's just you doing it. It's your party that they're just showing up to. And uh, they're just kind of watching you run around like a mad person. And you're missing it. And you're never going to get what it is to be a part of a community of faith. Let, 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 let's be clear that there's been so many sad examples of people who have walked away from the church. And it's because they've said, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to deal with the conflict. I don't want to deal with the difficulty. I don't want to deal with the disagreements. It's too much to do. I'm out. And the picture is that we're missing something. We're missing something. So there has to be a tra 
the transaction of giving and receiving, the transaction of doing both, kind of like if you think about the economy of God's kingdom, the transactions, the inflow and outflow are essential for its health. If you think about, you know, the economy's good when people are spending and people are, you know, that kind of thing. It's good because stuff is moving. It is deadly when it just gets stagnant and people stop. And people look inward and people start to isolate. It's what kills the community of faith. And it's what kills our faith. There's no question about that. So let's talk about a few things that can help us embrace the community of faith. Not, not profound, simple things, but things that are so simple to neglect. So simple to to like let it slide a little bit because the default will be to go it alone. That's kind of the default mechanism that we'll probably all have. A couple of things. First of all, you have to show up. That's, I mean, it's pretty simple. And the scripture they talk about, like gather together. Don't neglect meeting together. You know, and the, the church is has come to the tradition of most churches have met on Sunday, the day that Jesus rose, to celebrate and remember the resurrection. And that's become a pattern. In the Old Testament, there's the pattern that we'll get into in coming chapters where it says, honor the Sabbath. It's kind of like a rhythm of life. It's like, like there can be a point where you're kind of going along and doing your thing and working along, but there has to be a regular pattern of pause. And the scripture built in kind of the weekly cycle of the seventh day is a pause, rest, pause, rest, reflect, pause, rest, reflect, kind of do that. Remember, remember that I created it all. If there's, if there isn't kind of that regular rhythm, regular pattern of showing up, gathering together and doing that, it like very, very quickly, it gets to a bad place. Of course, it's self-serving for me to say, hey, show up. Show up every Sunday. I get that. But, but to build in a pattern in your life where you say, I show up. I make sure I have a guardrail in my life that is, this is the pattern, rhythm, routine that I have for me, my family, myself, that it doesn't go um, like two weeks, a month, three months or whatever, where it's like the pattern stops where it's getting out of balance, where it's getting out of control. Of course, you should probably, you should develop as well kind of these Sabbath patterns as well, where there's pausing, reflecting, resting, recovering, all of these things. God knows us. God knows how we do life. God knows that there are people that will run themselves ragged and make their life miserable and eventually burn out and quit. God knows that. And so he built into the week and he built and these wise words throughout the scripture that says, don't forget meeting together. Don't forget Sabbath. Don't forget times of pause, reflect, and relax a moment. Don't forget this stuff. You have to show up. You have to show up and kind of have that pattern built into your life. You have to do that. But let me tell you, is there something that is easy to do as well? Sometimes we can show up and disengage and disconnect. That is possible. Luckily, we are in a church where 
we're in a smaller environment, we're in a relational environment, and that is on purpose, but it is in some ways different from an experience where you could go to a church, sit in the back row, and just kind of hide out and not talk to anybody. Um, but there, you could do it here too. You could do that here too. But the purpose of the community, you have to, you kind of have to, you have to allow people in. You have to be open to allow people into your life. You have to be open to allowing people to like, like know what struggles are going on. You have to allow people to, you know, just engage in a conversation beyond like simple things. Beyond just like, hey, how's the weather and what did the Rockies do this week? We have to be allow other people in to our life. We have to show up and engage. And that's hard. But a challenge to you is every time we gather here on a Sunday morning, it's like it's more than just I showed up, got a good donut. That's important. I Trust me. Trust me. That's important. I show up, got a good donut, got some coffee. Got a little message, dozed off for a little bit, but I, you know, got the big, got the big chunks, got it, and uh, I'm moving on with my week. I got a fly that's attacking me. I, I don't know what's going on here, but um, if anybody, anybody, get a get a Bible and attack, come after this fly, okay? Um, all right, but it's more than just I checked that off the list and I moved on. If you have a week where you didn't really engage with someone else, that was a huge missed opportunity. It was. What a beautiful thing it is that we get an opportunity in this place to speak words of life into one another's life. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful in the last several weeks as we've been having kind of our cafe style worship and we've had our guest hosts, isn't it wonderful to hear from other people? Isn't it great, like Jason shared today about like, you know, some of the things that are so relatable to all of us that we've gone through and the different people that have spoken to hear from people and be like, hey, you know what, me too. I get that. I'm not in it alone. Isn't it wonderful? And like to have somebody that says, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. You know, it's interesting in our culture right now, there's kind of a backlash against this idea of, hey, I'm sending you prayers, I'm praying for you, or that kind of thing. You know, because it's, there's been tragic things that have happened in our world, and a lot of times people's responses is, hey, I'll be praying for you. Let, let's be clear. That is a powerful, meaningful thing. And it can be a just trivial words that are just said to just throw out there to somebody. And that, it can be trite, and it can be trivial. It's possible that that is true. But it doesn't have to be. Okay, praying for somebody and bringing them in your prayers and daily, like thinking about the people that are around you and praying for them and like sending them a word of encouragement is life changing. It's life changing. Interceding on one another's behalf is life changing. Okay, and I, I, I can think back to dozens and dozens of times in my life where I just was didn't know what was next and there were so many people around me that not only with their prayers but their encouragement and their presence just like figuratively came around and were there and walked me through it it's life-changing but you have to embrace it you have to let people in and you have to be ready to do that 
You know, I, I, I just want to give you this challenge that every time you show up here, and this is a transformational principle, that if we do that, we're going to be the most wonderful community of faith that ever stinking existed. Okay? I know that's big and bold, but remember, I'm on payment, so I'm a little uh, high. Um, but, re- but remember this. This would be the most wonderful community of faith is if every week one person, every person who walked in this door touched and made an impact on another person that was in here. That would be transformational. Transformational. If every week your goal was to be an encouraging word to another person in this place. Transformational. Transformational. Um, and there's, there's been times in my life where I've shown up and I was somewhere and I was engaged. I was like, I should have been engaging. And you know what? I just let the moment pass. And I just kind of wasn't in the mood. I've been there before where it's kind of like, all right, let's just let's get this over with. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? I wasn't there. Like, I challenge you to, when, before you walk in the doors, when you shut off the car in the parking lot, before you come into worship, because this is a place that has incredible power, before you walk through the doors, take a second and say, today, who is somebody I can give an encouraging word to? Who is somebody that I can help along towards the next step in their journey. If we do that, how transformational, how transformational. And I think maybe because of our neglect and not being embracing that, not letting people in, not being, you know, showing up, letting people in, being support, all these different things. I think maybe sometimes people have said, I don't need the church because I can do it alone. It's not true. But if we're not that type of community, maybe we don't feel it every week. And listen, not, don't, don't show up and be like, who's going who's gonna to be like the life changer for me today? And if somebody didn't say something nice to me, uh, man, come on. But like, be, decide to be that to somebody else. Decide to be that. There's moments in time as a parent where you have a choice to kind of like disengage and just like let it go, or you have a moment to press in and say, I know at this moment I need to teach, I need to encourage, I need to love. And it's really hard and it's a constant struggle, but there's times where all of us <coughs> don't, don't engage. And it's a missed opportunity, it's a missed moment in time. And you know what, everyone suffers as a result of that. Everyone suffers as a result. Show up, let people in, be supportive. Be supportive. Do what you can. Think in your life, what is it that I can do? What uniquely can I do that makes the community better? What is it that I can do to support and do, do that next thing? You know, we can come up with all kinds of lists. I can, I can come up with a list for you. Uh, here's some things that you, we all can do. Number one, you can love your neighbor. No doubt about it, you can love and engage your neighbor and neighborhood, and that is doing a wonderful act of service for the community of faith by loving your neighbor, your next door neighbor, the people who live right next door to you. Love and care for them, engage in their life, pray for them, 
be there for them. And that is doing the work of God. No question about it. It's kind of step one. That's what the scripture says. Love God, love your neighbor. You can love your neighbor. You can love your neighbor. And when you're doing that, you're doing the work of God. You can engage with one another here in the community of faith. We had flies and now we got moths attacking. <laughs> what is going on? Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, if we all gang up on this one moth and one fly. Okay. All right. You can love your neighbor. You can engage with one another in the community of faith. Everyone can do that in their own way. Everyone can do that. You can grow. Now listen, embracing the community, I believe, is being a person that is growing more and more uh, in the image of God. By me growing closer and closer to God, it's something that is supporting and encouraging the community of faith. That is. And you know what? It's a testimony and a picture of what we're trying to be. And you know what? I think every single one of us at some point in time have to, you have to make a decision that you're not going to stay where you are. Hey, let's give a hand to the moth killer. The moth that has plagued us is gone forever. All right. Um, it. You should make a decision in your own life that is a part of the community of faith. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be growing. I'm not going to stay the same. Year after year, I'm not going to be the same person that I was a year ago. I am going to be more and more like God. I'm going to be more and more the person God wants me to be. By your personal growth, that's something that is serving the community of faith. And it's a testimony to the community of faith. You can serve and you can give. These are things that you can do to support the community of faith. And we can go on and on and on at the list of what you can do. But we all can do. And we all need to do. And we need to share the load. We need to do that. And it's, it's a pivotal lesson that has to be learned when you step into walking towards a path that God wants you to walk in. This, this relationship with God, this sanctifying process is saying, I embrace the community, warts and all, and I embrace my role in the community of faith, and I'm going to engage and be a part of it. You know, I told you when I was 16 years old, I got my driver's license. Uh, I was always the type of person when I graduated from high school, and I was 18, I was like, peace out, mom and dad. I'm all set. I'll check in with you now and then, but more than likely, you're gonna have to call me and um, I'm gonna be okay. And that's kinda, kinda been my mentality in life. And in some ways, don't hold it against me. There's some virtue in that, some. But on Monday, I had knee surgery. And uh, the plan was, okay, knee surgery Monday morning. Uh, I'll give it a day. Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. All right, I'm back in action and I'm going for it, okay? I'm good to go. Um, and after the surgery, people, the doctor said, it was worse than we anticipated. You, my friend, 
cannot put any weight on your right leg for three weeks. You cannot drive for three weeks. You cannot put one ounce of pressure on your right knee for three weeks and maybe longer because you're going to do damage to what's going on. You go to bed and that's all you can do. You can get around a little bit. You can't put any weight on it. You can't. And the thing I heard, like, and this is, this is coming from my wife because I was uh, sedated, but my wife got this message and she was conveying it to me, is I can't drive for three weeks. Three weeks. I got my driver's license when I was thinking, three weeks, I can't drive? Are you kidding me? And so this whole kind of independent thing went full circle as I, for the first time in my life, I cannot, first time since I was 16 years old, the day before I turned 16, I can't drive for three weeks. And other than the major cuts and things in my knee and the recovery that's going to go on for the next six months, setting that aside, let me be very frank with you, is that it was one of the best things for me. And it's one of the best lessons, particularly for me, and maybe if you're like me, it's something that if, I hope you don't have to go through surgery and things like that, but at some point in time, maybe you'll have to learn. And Moses was in that moment and he said, you got to share the load, buddy. You can't do it by yourself. So I'm at home, and I can't drive my son to his um, summer school. I can't get myself a cup of coffee. I can't, uh, I can can make it to the bathroom on my own now, but I can't shower on my own. I can't do any of these things. I can't walk. And the last week has been a beautiful thing, despite the pain and all that. And maybe, again, this is the medicines talking, but... (laughs) It's been a really beautiful thing. I've had uh, people that dropped off breakfast burritos. It was pretty spectacular. Some people in this room. Had some surprise friends that were a part of this church that were actually in town and knew that I had surgery and just impromptu brought me lunch. Uh, Had some other people that drove my son to his school. Uh, Some other people that uh, took care of other things in my life along with lots and lots of wonderful messages of prayer and encouragement and kind words. Um, And it was a beautiful thing. You realize how beautiful that is? And you realize how powerful that is? That when the community says, we're here for one another. We're here for one another. And I just want to say, I felt really, really loved this week. I feel really, really loved this week. Um, And it reminded me of how vitally important um, the community of faith is. How vitally important it is that we embrace it and we say we're we're, we're in this together. It's easy to just say, I'm good. I'm going it alone. And unfortunately, and... I'm being serious with the wording. I know it's strong wording. That picture of isolation will keep you enslaved. It will keep you enslaved. It will keep you in a place where you're 
you're always just kind of stuck in the same spot by yourself. God did not design you to live your life like that. God did not design us to do that. God designed us to be in community together and do things together and to share the love. And that's the picture of the community of faith. You'll never be free by yourself. You'll never um, fully embrace God's best for you by yourself. And it's one of the key lessons that the nation of Israel and Moses had to learn early on in order to move forward and to be the people God wanted them to be. Would you join me in prayer? God, many times in our stubbornness, we think that we can go it alone. But God, right now, we just admit to you that that's foolishness. We need you. Only you can save us. Only you can do things like let a, let a whole group of people walk through a sea onto dry land into freedom. But God, even after that, we also know that you've designed us for relationship, for community. That for us to truly be free, we have to embrace that. Sometimes we admit that it's hard and it's difficult and it's challenging and there's personality conflicts and there's disagreements and there's all that stuff we know. But God, help us to have the wisdom to listen to what you say. Share the load. Do it together. Don't stop meeting together. Love your neighbor. Intercede for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. And on and on and on. Because God, you know what will set us free. And you know what will keep us enslaved. So God, right now, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, we just commit to you that we will embrace the community of faith. We'll, be our, we'll do our part. We'll engage in one another's lives and we'll be there for one another. And God, I believe heaven will rejoice when we do that. 